Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. G'day, thanks for being here. This is Better Make It Quick, uh, the short, wonderful Wednesday version of Osher Ginsburg Better Than Yesterday. Uh, I'm Osher Ginsburg, in case you're wondering. Hi, thanks for being here. Uh, this is a podcast that goes all the way back to 2013, and I'm so grateful you're here. There's so many episodes that I asked Bree, who's one of our producers, to go back and through the back catalog and find episodes that are worth another listen. So today we're going to take you back uh, to my conversation with Tara Moss. She's a Canadian-Australian author. She's written 14 books, and Tara is also an advocate for people with a disability, children, women, and is a UNICEF ambassador and has been recognized worldwide for her work. Tara writes mostly crime novels and let's just say that she really dedicates herself to the research of her stories. I sure do. And I've often laughed before the days of internet research, I used to have quite a visible library of crime-related content and I used to think that, you know, when the telephone guy would come to put in a new line, he'd look behind him and see all these books on homicide and poisons and stuff and just like, just vanished with the door swinging, you know, because it does look incredibly strange. So I have a pretty macabre library that I now keep well and truly out of reach of my daughter. But you can do only so much online. And I think a lot of my challenge over the next little while will be writing my next book without probably being able to visit some of those locations. In the past, I would always, always do it. And now I've got some international locations and I don't even know when international travel will be possible next. Yeah. So that's, that is going to be a real challenge. Because it's like, I can try my hand at knowing what it is to, you know, fire a particular weapon to write what it is to fire a weapon because I've fired weapons. But I was thinking about this the other day. I've never been in a fight I once punched a guy in the tuck shop line for bullying me and I was 14 and that was like the one and only time I actually made a fist and actually used it to hit somebody. So I don't know what I'd do if I was ever to write about a fight, you know. <laughs> I, I have been in fights, Asha. I've, I've thrown people to the ground. I've thrown people down escalators and out of moving cars. 
It's not because I woke up that day and decided, hey, this is a great day to throw someone out of a moving vehicle. It's because I got attacked a lot in my youth. So I'm actually not a terrible person to have on your side if you do find you need to make another fist one day, Osher. Oh, Jesus Christ. But uh, it pays to go to experts when you're researching things. And like the last thing you want to do as an author is to watch a crime show, cop show or something and go, oh, this is how it works and just leave your research there. You need to dig a lot deeper. And for me, I've, yeah, I go all the way. I'm like a method writer. I've been choked unconscious and set on fire. And I've gone out in squad cars and seen autopsies and done loops over the opera house with the roulettes and gone out with SWAT teams and fired all manner of weapons, which I don't like, by the way. I don't like guns. I will never have a, a gun or a gun license, but I need to know how to use them because my characters do. I, I think that's part of being a writer. You, you have to be really familiar with the material because you can't pull the wool over a reader's eyes, in my view. It has to have that ring of authenticity and familiarity if the character does this sort of stuff, if the character is a detective or an assassin or, or whoever they are, it, it needs to sound right when you're reading it. It needs to really ring true. And that's why I'll, I'll go literally all the way. Everything short of getting myself arrested, really. That's that's one thing that's very important. But you said you like to write about times in the past. The role of women in society in the past is almost incomprehensible Gee, she's 16 now. She's an extraordinarily powerful young woman. But to try and explain to her that there was a time when if you, as a woman, got a job, you would only ever, if you're lucky, be in the typing pool. And then the moment you got engaged, they would literally throw you a tea party and say, great work, Tara. It's been great to know you. Bye. And that's it. That is your career over because your job now, that's all you are good for is to make babies and clean a house. But that was truth. That was exactly what happened. It is. And it's within living memory. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of people forget, often conveniently forget that women couldn't get their own loans at a bank. They couldn't get their own credit card. They couldn't buy a house without a man's signature. Couldn't go to uni. In Australia, they couldn't go to uni. Yeah, that's right. In Australia, that's right. And it's within living memory. So like yeah. for many of us, our mothers went through this. Yeah. Not even just our grandmothers, our mothers went through this. And it's part of my reason for wanting to, it's not a reimagining of history, but I'm trying to take the genre and the stories that I love, this period that I love, the 1940s, and try to kind of Imagine a woman in that time that I can relate to and how she would deal with those obstacles. You know, there's a, a real life detective by the name of Lillian Armfield, who was the first policewoman in New South Wales able to uh, carry a firearm. She was the first female detective in New South Wales. She was a real trailblazer and pioneer. She wasn't allowed to marry. If she married, she'd be automatically thrown out. Women in that time as well, they couldn't get any superannuation. They weren't eligible for any recompense if they were injured in the line of duty. They weren't allowed to be part of the police club. I mean, in the literal sense, you had to be a guy to be part of that. So they lacked all the supports that are really essential in that kind of work, but they still lined up for it. There are always many more women applying than there were uh, spaces allotted to female police officers. 
And so this writing this period actually get, gives me the opportunity, the excuse to kind of drop in a Lillian Armfield character for a few lines to kind of express some of these real life situations that women found themselves having to deal with because the history is really fascinating and it speaks to the fact that people can overcome and that they can change circumstances. And it never just happens kind of naturally and automatically. It's always done through agitation, through advocacy, through hard work, and usually some pain as well. Like, you know, think of how many people lost jobs putting people offside by wanting change in these areas and so many others. So, yeah, I think writing about the 1940s and particularly putting a spin on it that reimagines hard-boiled, reimagines noir, to me is really exciting because it's a genre I love, but it's a genre that's also like notoriously, well, sexist, really. I mean, I mean that kind of kindly because I actually really like these books, but when you when you read a lot of hard-boiled, it's, it's the stereotype of sexism that, that we think on, you know, the, the women who are fainting constantly and needing to be saved. And this is where a lot of the stereotypes come from. When I had this conversation with Tara in 2020, her most recent novel, The War Widow, was just about to come out. It's set in the 1940s. Very different time. It was shameful to be unmarried. It was shameful to be a widow, if you can believe. You know, and there were a lot of widows, as you can imagine, after the war. Yeah. So it makes sense to reflect on that time and think about how it resonates with issues today in terms of equal pay, in terms of how different segments of the community are viewed. And it's not only looking at gender, I'm looking very much at human rights issues across the board, looking at the anti-Semitism, the racism, and you know the Holocaust, how the, the Holocaust would not have happened without this ranking of humans by race, by creed, by religion. It would not have been possible. And I think it's a really good time to reflect on that and try to recall those lessons and learn from them, especially now where you see this you know, rise of fascism, really, and, and hate speech. Yeah, it is. It's a topic. Sorry, I just, I went from fun women PIs to suddenly the Holocaust. It's quite a big swing, but. You're absolutely right, because and I think what you were trying to get towards is it is in the dehumanization. When the dehumanization yes. starts, that mm. way, uh, that human being is now just an object, an object that I can throw away like an empty, an empty chip packet. You know, I can throw it away like something something that is now useless to me. It, it means nothing to me. I'll get rid of it. No, but their possessions mean a lot. So, hey, I'm really happy to take those. I mean, that that's another major yeah. theme in The War Widow. The book is, you know, Nazi war loot and the powers that be and how all of this works. If you can make the population get on board with the dehumanizing of groups of people, mm. you can get state-sanctioned and kind of publicly sanctioned, culturally sanctioned theft. And we've seen that happening to the Aboriginal people in Australia. We've seen that happening with the First Peoples in every country really in the world. And we saw that happen with the Jewish people across Europe. And it's not just their dehumanization, but it's, it's like the strategy behind gaining more power and wealth is to take that from them. And that, that legacy doesn't just sort of change when the war ends. There's mm. a long, the long shadow of war, there's intergenerational trauma, and there's that shifting of wealth and possessions mm. that doesn't just 
flick back those lands, those buildings. This is true. And the people who benefit from these power structures are usually Tara. They're usually, they're, they're totally fine with these power structures being called out, uh, in my experience. <laughs> no problem at all. You know, you're absolutely right, lady writer. You go right ahead and say how, you know, everything that led me to have everything that I have for the amount of effort less than that person's had to work just because they have a vagina. Um, you go right ahead and tell me that. It was uh, <laughs> Helen Lewis, a brilliant tweet. It lived forever. When when I become to uh, Lewis's law, comments on any article about feminism justify <laughs> feminism. Yes. <laughs> so I would say that as an author who writes powerful female characters who clearly speaks as she's a powerful woman, I'm sure dudes are totally happy with listening to you and reading the things that you say. It's been really relaxing, yeah. <laughs> it's been chill, I have to say. Interesting time to be a woman on the internet. I mean, thank goodness you can be at all. And I'm very lucky in a lot of ways, but oh my God, is that ever true? It, it's interesting because when you write into fiction though, my experience is that you attract less attention because a lot of those trolls don't read. It's true. I'm just going to say it. It's true. If you write an article on an op-ed or do a, a human rights piece, they will read the headline and go, oh, this is an article about injustice, and they will just go you with their troll army, right? They don't even need to kind of look past the headline or the whatever the sub-editors put in there. But if you write an entire novel, it's very interesting to me that it's easier from the perspective of death threats. I've actually had fewer death threats this year than I have overall over the past kind of five years. 2020, now with 26% less death threats towards Tara Moss. It's a winning year. <laughs> it's like a... A noticeable change, and I'll certainly return to nonfiction. I wrote two nonfiction books, Speaking Out in the Fictional Woman, and did a lot of, you know, had a lot of those picked up and placed online, a lot of those, those chapters or articles about those books. And oh my goodness, there was a lot of troll activity, a lot of death threats. But it's interesting to me that I can be writing now, it's 21 years of writing and 11 novels it's very rarely the novels that get those kind of death threats even though the thread is the same tara moss is an outspoken advocate for human rights the rights of women children and people with a disability the work she does is very important it makes a huge impact sometimes though that work does come with a cost which we will talk about right after we play some ads One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mm. 
We're talking with Tara Moss today. The full conversation is uh, episode 342 from a couple of years back, but here's, here's the short version. When Tara and I spoke uh, more than once in our conversation, Tara mentioned that she had received death threats online. And I kind of asked her, what, what is it behind a death threat on the internet? Entitlement? I'm going to put that out there. Entitlement. I, I think that death threats, I mean, they're, they're technically not legal. You're not allowed to threaten people with death. You're not allowed to do it in person. You're not allowed to do it in the mail and you're not allowed to do it electronically. But I think people only do that when they feel entitled to do so. And it's changing now. But in the earlier days of cyberspace, when this was happening, it was condoned in so much as there was no response to it. There was no legal response. And people kind of just went, ah, it's the wild west of the internet. You can do what you, you like here. It's kind of for cowboys only. And I think, you know, it made the internet less democratic because it pushed people out. It's, it's just not possible to have, say, a family and have people sending you messages saying they're going to kill your child. Like, who stays in that? Who weighs it up and goes... Sure, I'm going to keep blogging about this or, you know, I'm going to keep my Twitter feed going. Like it, it does have a silencing and chilling effect. But I'd say entitlement is a huge element. And we see that dynamic in actual violence of the physical type as well as threatened violence. Entitlement is a huge part of that. And going back to our previous conversation about World War II, entitlement. It's not a, a switch that suddenly flicked where someone is a a normal, equal human being, and then suddenly you think, oh, I have the right to kill them. It's usually a process that's happened where you think you are entitled to their life. They're in your way, and you're entitled to push them out of the way by getting rid of them. So, look, I think entitlement's a really big one. And then there are the classic things that any crime writer or cop will tell you. There's, you know, there's greed, there's jealousy, you know, desire for power, all that stuff plays in. Wanting the the will to be in your name, wanting the, you know, all that stuff. It happens, but I think entitlement for violence in general is usually the biggest factor involved, particularly when you're talking about death threats against people you've never met. Let me see if I can just understand you just a little clearer. So the reason that a stranger on the mm. internet, usually, let's be honest, a jet ski, is going <laughs> <laughs> to... It's a jet ski or it's a ute. Or a picture of Ned Kelly. I love it. Yes, yes. it's true, Tara. The egg. There's still the the odd egg out there. He's like, oh, the is egg guy egg. still upset? Apparently, he's really upset. Egg guy's six, seven, with heaps of numbers in their name because they're <laughs> too fucking cowardly to use themselves. Yeah. So the entitlement of I have this life. I'm going to assume it all, and I'm going to probably be right. I am a white man. I uh, may or may not be in a relationship. I have a job. I have a stable income and I can walk down the street without fear of violence of a stranger. How dare you threaten all of the things that are in place and are maintained by other men who look like me? How dare you threaten them? Because now I don't feel safe. Because if I had to live my life without these things, without the fact that I can walk down the street at night or I'm probably not going to get pulled over because I'm white or I got a job, why don't you have a job? Now I feel threatened 
So therefore, I'm entitled that you, I feel you are threatening everything that I have and it keeps me safe. Therefore, I'm entitled to defend this with everything I've got. And right now, the biggest thing I've got is saying I should fucking kill you. Is that about right? That distills it nicely, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah, but it's amazing to me how someone who most likely does not feel threatened walking down the street, as you pointed out, how someone like that can feel threatened by such small things like differences of opinion, desire for equality, how a push for equality can feel to a person like that as if something is being taken away from them. Yeah. Sharing rights they already have is like them having their rights taken away. That idea is really fascinating to me. And it will always be the case. And, you know, I think there'll always be a pushback against change that makes the world more equitable for everyone because some people have it much better than others and they're going to yeah. they're going to fight for that ground. You can read Tara's most recent novel The Ghosts of Paris which is the sequel to The War Widow, the book we spoke about in the conversation you heard today. If you want to hear the full conversation, it's great. Uh, scroll back through to episode 342. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you go and find that, that episode or many other episodes from the back catalogue. Uh, there's heaps there. There's hundreds there. And um, I'll, I'll be back here on Friday. Thanks very much to um, Bruce Steele, who produced and wrote this episode, Andy Marr on post-production, Rachel Barrett, my executive producer, and of course, Toe Hider, who made all the music. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you on Friday. Sleep well. Yeah? Dream of beautiful things. 